Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I'll offer my picks for each and every day of the 2023 Australian Open before we unveil our Day 7 selections. We need a celebration sound effect du jour from super producer Daniel Westoff as we managed over the course of the past two days to pull off the seemingly impossible for one of the first times here in Crack Rackets GSP Ace of the Day segment history. We pull off an undefeated round at a major. That's right, folks. We go 6-0 at round three of this 2023 Australian Open. Shout out to yesterday's winners, Ben Shelton, Tommy Paul, Belinda Bencic, Alex Diemenauer. They have put us in a perfect position as we enter week number two of the year's first major event. Of course, right now we are 14-11-3, up 0.96 units overall for this Australian Open. It also feels worth noting out. Those three ties are the three futures bets we placed on day number one of this event. Each of those bets, Iga to win her quarter, Iga to win her event, Novak to win his event, they are all still in play as we turn the page towards week number two of this Australian Open, of course, with the turning of the page. Also means we can now trust both the data that we have available to us as well as our eyes moving forward. We've gotten to see each of these players now compete at least three times here at this 2023 Australian Open. We know who's been pushed to the distance in multiple matches. We know who's yet to drop a set. We know who got the easy draws, who got the tough draws, who's going to be calloused up, who might be injured past the point of return. These are all things we now have much better knowledge of heading into week number two, and that is why I am confident, folks, confident that we are going to step up our game finish even better than the 56 win percentage, a uh, 56% win percentage, excuse me, that we had in week number one. With that in mind, of course, again, we turn the page to week number two of this 2023 Australian Open. Things have turned out fascinating at the year's first major, of course, started out very steady. Top seeds all looked excellent across the board. And then we've had chaos, a real holly, a jolly, a brouhaha unfold over these past couple of days, sets up what should be, again, a super exciting fourth round of play. And of course, here on this GSP Ace of the Day segment, what I want to do for all of you listeners today is preview the first half of the fourth round of action. We've got eight more fantastic singles battles on our hands. Of course, as every major progresses, the margins are only going to get thinner. That means the odds are going to narrow. That means finding value on the board becomes that much more difficult in that spirit. I am going to play things slightly on the conservative side once again. It seemed to work the past two days when I seemingly am at my least confidence. For some reason, that's when the tennis god wants to bless us right now. They're just, they're baiting me into a mistake. I'm not going to let them bait me into that mistake here on day seven. We've had just a tougher time with the top half of the draw than we have the bottom half throughout the course of this Australian Open. And again, with a week of hindsight to reflect upon, I, I now realize that I have not quite the grasp on that top half as I do on the bottom half. As such, again, conservative plays here for all of you listeners today. I have two aces to offer all of you. Of course, I do want to take the time to chat at least a minute about all eight of the singles matches we have unfolding on Saturday night here in the United States, Sunday, of course, over in Melbourne. So with all of that in mind, again, 14, 11, and three, up 
0.96 units overall through the first week of the Australian Open, but it's only going to get better from here. Let's get into it. Here are my thoughts for day number seven, my GSP aces of the day. I figured let's kick week two off in a stylish fashion. Let's go two parlays here. I can already hear you listeners yelling at me saying, really, Alex, 14 and 11, you're riding a six-pick winning streak and you're going to try and mess things up with two parlays? That's exactly what the tennis gods are trying to bait you into. Well, I'm going to be baited in this instance. I actually feel pretty confident about each of these parlays today. Not 100% sure, but we're feeling on the higher half, certainly the higher third, the higher eighth, the higher tenth, whatever fraction you want to look to in terms of where we're at on the confidence interval. And look again, a bunch of battles everywhere you look up and down the board. Like, good luck picking that Iga Rabakina match in the quarter uh, in the round of 16. Obviously, Iga is the unequivocal world number one. She was a semifinalist in Australia last year. She won 37 consecutive matches last year. Many of them happened on hard courts. I believe she went 15-2 and two against the top 10 and like 21-2 and two against top 20 opponents or something like that throughout the course of this season. She was unequivocally, has unequivocally, as we've alluded to many times, been the best player over the past 14 months in women's tennis. All due respect to Ashley Barty, who's now retired. But look, what else happened? During this past 15, 13-month stretch, Elena Rabakina won her first major title. And I think when all of us watch Rabakina play, there's it becomes very clear, abundantly clear immediately why the 23-year-old has a slam title to her name already. What about the 23-year-old makes her so special? It's the captivating power tennis that she can play, right? Rabakina's ability to just disrupt whatever it is her opponents want to do to play on her terms consistently uh, consistently, regardless of the opponent's game plan, you know, that's the ultimate skill set. That's what every player strives to have the ability to do in both men's and women's tennis. And I mean, again, Rabakina with her major title, I said it last year, she's officially been inducted into Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. She was the number three server on the WTA Tour last year, trailed just Caroline Garcia, Ludmilla Samsonova, and she's brought that elite power tennis into this Australian Open. Wins over Kochiaretto, Kaya Yuvan, last year's finalist, Danielle Collins, who she's now beaten twice, by the way, to start this 2023 season. But Look, as much as Rabakina can do things that make Iga uncomfortable, one, Rabakina doesn't really matter what Iga is going to do. Rabakina is going to go down swinging, and to some extent, that has to be the game plan when you take on world number one Iga Shviantek. Rabakina also has the sort of transcendent power that can give Iga some serious uh, problems serving through that Iga Shviantek forehand. Anytime that Iga ball is left short, just taking it early on the rise, taking as much time away as possible. I don't know why those snaps felt essential to me, but early on the rise. If Rabakina is able to do those things, again, regardless of what Iga wants to execute, if Rabakina does those things well, she should find herself competitive in this match. And that's why this match screams for all sorts of purposes, stay away. Stay, stay away from this one on day number seven. You kick your feet up as a tennis fan. You enjoy watching this match unfold because again, as good as Rabakina was in a three-set third round run over Danielle Collins, as transcendent as the power tennis she's capable of playing can be as fast as the conditions have been, particularly during the day here in Melbourne. Do I need to recap Shvantec's results for you guys this major? Four and five over Nehemiah, two and three over Osorio, 0 and one over Buxa. 
Now, one could legitimately argue that Sviantec's matches has got have gotten, excuse me, easier as this event has progressed. But guess what? The score lines, they've grown more lopsided as the event has progressed. Iga has slowly but surely gone about finding her form, as she seems to always do, paces herself so well already in these early stages of majors. And, you know, again, pick against Iga at your own uh, at your own whim. Like, be if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to put that money where the mouth is, you think the power tennis Rabakin is playing right now is so transcendent that that just has to be the pick. You look at the career head-to-head and you're just like, you know what? I'm taking Rabakina. Shout out to you for having some gusto, some some huevos, some gumption in your life, the confidence of your convictions, which is all we can ever ask for, for what it's worth. Iga 1-0 against Rubakna, 6-2 win in Ostrava back in 2021. Again, I'm kicking my feet up and enjoying this match. If anything, I'm maybe making a play on the over, over two and a half sets in this match, plus 165. That at least is entertaining to me, and certainly you get to root then for more of this match. I'd like to see as much of this match as possible. Sorry, Ega Nation, who I know loves listening to this show. Um, But that would be my assessment, by the way, and that's not even a part of the parlay. That's just right there, the crux of the example of there are a lot of Ega Rabakina-type matches on the board here today. That makes making selections so difficult. That said, again, I do have selections for all of you listeners. So with that in mind, let's actually throw a little rewind sound effect in there. And let's actually now get to our first ace of the day because ace number one is a little two-man parlay. I feel fairly confident of every match on the board here today. All eight of our men's and women's singles matches, the Single singular singles match I feel most confident about is 24th seed Victoria Azarenka taking on unseeded, but one of the revelations of these first three weeks of the year and certainly a thriving 28-year-old from China in Lin Zhu. I mean, you look at what Zhu's been able to accomplish here throughout the course of 2023. Quarterfinals in Auckland to kick off the year, which, you know, again, I think she's made fewer than, I want to say, like 12 quarterfinals at the tour level in her career. And so to start things off right away and to do that in Auckland, a testament again uh, to her level of play. In fact, yeah, career, yeah, her Auckland quarterfinal was the ninth of her career. One of nine, age 28, to start things out. It's a really good result. She then, of course, here at this Australian Open gets straight set wins over Marino, over Teichman, the three-set win over Maria Sakari in round number three. What's so fascinating watching the 28, soon-to-be 29-year-old, birthday's one week away, happy birthday to you, Julin, in advance, watching her play, what's so fascinating, she's a great athlete. Moves the ball while uh, while around the court, can absorb, can redirect pace, is not ashamed to throw up the bump lob to buy herself time. And when she buys herself time, she is such a proficient mover. She is so fluid that she's just going to make that extra ball and ask every question of you. You need some elite weaponry. You need to be have elite decisiveness to close the door on Ju Lin, who it feels like is just perennially keeping it just a creak open. And yet... I think Victoria Azarenka is exactly the players to uh, player to a have those sorts of weapons, b have that sort of form, and c have the sort of confidence you need to knock out an aggressive, unseated player competing in her first fourth round at a slam. And of course, you look for Victoria Azarenka. She's a former Australian Open champion. She, you know. It's been a while for her, I suppose, since she's made a deep run in Melbourne, but 
It's not the first time she's made the second week at the Australian Open. Not the first time, obviously, she's made a second week at a slam. In fact, reached the fourth round of the U.S. Open, the last major played in August 2022. And, you know, the key for me is Azarenka, and I've said this before, but I'll say this again. When she's been healthy, she's been unequivocally one of the 10 to 14 best players in women's tennis really since the pandemic resumed in August of 2020. Obviously, she wins the Western Southern Open title, makes that U.S. Open final right to kick off the post-pandemic stretch. You look for her 2021. She won two-thirds of her matches and was perennially in that top 15, uh, top 20, top 25 hold percentage, break percentage sort of conversation, one of the elite analytics darlings on the WTA Tour. And Look, I think that has very much been her level over the course of the past three months. Obviously, that round of 16 at the U.S. Open, which she follows by beating Bedosa, Keys, and Goff on her way to the semifinals in Guadalajara. A really fun run in Adelaide. Wins over Kalanina, Jung Chin Wen before knocking out Naskova, seven, uh, getting knocked out, excuse me, by Naskova, 7-6 in the third. She then loses to another top 10 player, Kuda Mertova, 6-4 in the third, but has bounced back in the best way possible. Four and six over Ken in round one, one and zero over Podoroska in round two, and then the serious test. One six six two six one overcomes a little bit of adversity to knock out Madison Keys in what was a power tennis centric third round match, and that's the key. No pun intended. Um, not Keys. The key for Azarenka is she has the weapons. She has the movement. She looks fit as a fiddle right now. I don't have a statistic that I can say, look at how well she's moving. She's extending rallies, three shots per rally, you know, at a clip 10% higher than she was earlier in her, you know, like a season ago. Like I I don't have a clear-cut statistic I can turn to. Let me just say, though, I was broadcasting her Adelaide One matches as uh, for our dear friends at Tennis Channel, and I was on the call when she lost to Kudermatova in three sets as well. I've obviously locked in on many. If I've watched highlights of all of her Australian Open matches. You know, nowadays the kids say, you know, oh, he's him, right? He's that That's a compliment. If you describe someone as him, it means there's, they're the guy right now. Or, you know, right now I would argue Azarenka – She's a little himmy neutron. Like, she's kind of him right now. She's kind of the go-to. Like, of all the players who have exceeded my expectations to start this 2022, because I knew how good Ika was. I knew how good Sabalenka could be, and she has been maybe even better than I expected. But I'm just telling you, from an eye test perspective, Azarenka has has exceeded my expectations more than maybe any player in the men's or women's game to kick off this 2023. And again, as prof- as proficient as Ju Lin is at everything. Lin Ju, excuse me, I keep doing that. As proficient as she is at everything, as well as she moves the ball around the court, as much as she just, shout out to the Cranberries, lingers in every match, I just don't think she's going to be decisive enough to have the weapons to hurt Azarenka. They've never played before in their uh, careers, but Azarenka, 77.8% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. I'm going to rock with Azarenka. I think she wins. I know how great... Uh, Lynn has been over the course of this first month of the season, but I just think this is when the bubble bursts. I don't think, you know, Sakari was so tentative down the home stretches of sets one and three in their matchup. I don't see that being the same for Azarenka, who will be more than fine going down swinging. Give me Azarenka. You could get her minus five and a half games for minus 135. That means she's got to win three or three or better. No, thank you. That's too many games. You could take her minus one and a half sets, minus 235, which just means she has to win in straight sets. That's pretty appealing, but we're going to let that one slide as well. 
We're actually just going to ride with the Azarenka money line. Minus 650 over her opponent in round number four. That's out of respect to just, again, Linju has surprised people throughout the course of this first month. She's not going to surprise us here. We're just going to take the Azarenka money line, and we're going to use it as leg number one of a two-leg parlay. That second leg coming via Karen Hatchnov, who's minus three and a half games over Yoshihito Nishioka tomorrow. Now you look in their career head-to-head. Hatchinov actually a straight set win over Nishioka at the 2019 Australian Open. Hatchinov also beat him three sets Tokyo Olympics. Nishioka a 6-6 six and six win over Hatchinov at the City Open last year. Look, Nishioka is yet to drop a set on his way to this fourth round of the Australian Open. And by the way, you look for Nishioka. Boy, has he been one of the biggest winners of the past six months. Finals of the City Open. Wins the title in Seoul. Now fourth round here at the Australian Open. He's up to number 32. That's a new career high for this 37-year-old in the live rankings. But this is a bet on Hatchinoff, who I think has looked rock solid since his run to the semifinals of the U.S. Open last year. And, you know, you look for him since that time. Who has Hatchinov lost to? Because I think this is actually a fascinating case study. He lost to Kasper Ruud, semifinals of the U.S. Open. Ruud made the finals of that event. He loses to Djokovic in Astana. Djokovic wins that title. He loses to Korda in Antwerp. Korda makes the final in Antwerp, by the way. Just beat Daniil Medvedev, still alive here at the Australian Open. Evans, a perennial top 32 sort of hardcourt guy, beats Hatchinov. And then, you know, loses to Djokovic in the Paris Masters. Medvedev in Adelaide won quarterfinals. He loses to Draper in Adelaide too, which you might be saying isn't the best loss, but he had played Draper the week prior. He had beaten Draper the week prior. It's always really difficult when the level's pretty even to beat a player twice in a row. It's just, it's very hard to do uh, in two consecutive weeks, excuse me. Look, I think Hatchinov's playing good ball right now. Probably the best of his career. You look statistically over the past six months, he's held over 84% of the time. That would be 2% better than his career average. He's also breaking serve right now, 23.1%. Now that would rank 24th on the ATP Tour over the past six months. But that would also be about 2.5% above his career average and would put him just inside the top 25 amongst returners in the ATP Top 50 for the first time in his career. And that's a testament to things have just steadied out. The delta between Hatchinov's floor and his ceiling has narrowed in a good way over the past couple of seasons because I think that floor does continue to rise. I think he's really confident right now. I mean, physically, is there anyone you'd want to have more than the six foot six, 26-year-old who doesn't seem to have an ounce of fat on his body and whom frequently is compared to looking like Thor, Chris Hemsworth, one of the Hemsworth brothers who are routinely probably two of the best and most in-shape people in the world, as they have to be given their celebrity status. And Hatchinov would fit in right with them if he joined the Hemsworth family tomorrow. Look again, as good as Yoshi has been, as well-rested as he is, he's only played, again, nine sets of tennis so far. You know, Hatchinov himself has dropped sets in his past two matches. He's been pushed to the three-hour mark twice in his past three matches. But that's what Hatchinov does. He just, you know, again, he beats who he's supposed to beat at these major events. And again, as well as Yoshi moves the ball around the court, I actually think Hatchinov being a little bit taller, he's going to be able to absorb and almost hit down on that Nishioka forehand when it's a forehand to backhand exchange. I think he's going to, you know, again, his serve, his forehand are the biggest weapons on the court. And while Yoshi is quicker and certainly craftier, I just think Hatchinov bludgeons his way through Nishioka in the end. So give me Karen Hatchinov to ride his positive momentum of late. Again, 
Nishioka has been excellent. I don't feel great about this pick. This is probably the most nervous I've felt about any pick, and I felt pretty nervous about all of them over the course of the past three days. But this just feels like a match Karen had. Again, it's a great matchup for him, a guy who doesn't have an overwhelming weapon, doesn't have the pace to play through his forehand and expose that weakness. If Hatchinov stays disciplined, which he really has been, over the course of the past five months, I think it gets through this match. Now, you can take the Hatchov money line if you'd want. It's actually fairly appealing at minus 250. You can also take a minus three and a half games at minus 135. And actually, looking back at that money line, the minus 250 is intriguing to me, but oh, wait. Oh, interessante. So I have him written down as minus three and a half games over Nishioka, minus 130. I was like, something's not computing in my head. It's because Hatchinov has moved up to minus 135 in that minus three and a half game spread. So I'm going to leave it as is because Westhoff, I think, has already tweeted out the photo of my picks here today. I'll tell you what. Again, if the odds makers agree with me, there's just it's an eye test thing. If you've watched enough of Yoshi, yes, he's won in straight sets, but they've all been very comfortable. And Srivakina had no chance against him. Mackie was serving underhand by the end of that match. And again, the Immer win was extraordinarily impressive, but this is a massive raisin level in terms of quality of opponent for Nishioka. And I just think Hatchinov is playing well enough right now. And from a matchup perspective, two and one career head to head. I like this matchup for Karen Hatchinov. I really do. I probably shouldn't as much as I do, but I really do like it. So give me Hatchinoff to advance, uh, minus three and a half games over Nishioka, minus 130 when parlayed with Azarenka's minus 650 money line, plus 104, plus 104. That, again, it feels like yesterday when I had nine players in the parlay zone, and by the way, of the nine players I had in the parlay zone yesterday, they went eight and one overall. I think the only one who ended up losing that was in the parlay zone. I'm, I'm blanking on who ended up losing in the parlay zone yesterday. I want to say it wasn't Demon Hour, it wasn't Rubla. It wasn't, oh, it was Von Drusova was the only player to lose in the parlay zone yesterday. And by the way, she was a tentative in the parlay zone. We had her over two and a half sets anyways, which is where the match went. I would throw Hatchinov in the parlay zone. I believe I did here today, but let's just take the game spread. Minus three and a half games over Nishioka, minus 130, parlayed with Azarenka's minus 650 money line, plus 104. Again, we're being conservative. Quarter of a unit to win 0.26, but that's ace number one to kick off week number two. Ace number two, another parlay, couple of next-gen 2.0 superstars. Boy, was it fun to see Felix Ogier Aliasim get on track in a four-set win over Francisco Sarundolo, a 6-1-3-6-6-1-6-4 win for the young Canadian that saw him win over 85% of his first serve points, fight off four of the six break points that he faced. Look, FAA has yet to capture or reach the level that he was at when he went, what, 21-3 and or 22-3 and post-US Open, whatever it was, to end the 2022 season. He was holding, you know, over the last 52 weeks, by the way, with this run, he's holding over 86% of the time, which is a top 10 number on the ATP Tour. You want to narrow that down. He's over 90% over the course of the past three months. And Look, has a very advantageous matchup. First time career head-to-head taking on Yuri Lachetchka. And Lachetchka has been one of the quiet superstars of this 2023 Australian Open. No doubt about that. It was fascinating to see the next-gen ATP finalist uh, knock out Cam Norrie 
in four sets, uh, in five sets, excuse me, a 7-6-6-3-3-6-6-1-6-4 win for the 21-year-old out of the Czech Republic. And look, it's a massive moment for Lechechka, who by getting uh, to the round of 16 is up to a new career high, number 51 in the live rankings. That just gives him the opportunity to do so many more things moving forward. And of course, you look for Lechechka, who uh, over this course of the last run, the hold percentage has been uh, immense for him. You know, over the course of the last four months, he's holding serve right around 82% of the time, which is a 4% increase for him over the last 52 weeks. He's also breaking serve 23.1% of the time. He's moving really well, really fluidly. Now, he'll seat a ton of court space, but he's one of those quick twitch, explosive guys who never has an issue producing power or depth off of his racket. And so it was fascinating to see the defense in form against Nori. Obviously, the big thing for him, he won 75% of his first serve points, 62% of his second serve points. And I do think the serve forehand combination for Lachechka is the bread and butter for him moving forward. But you know who's got an even better serve forehand combination? Maybe the best on the ATP Tour right now? Felix Ogier Aliassime who, again, slowly but surely has found his form. Yes, he's played a lot of tennis, I believe, what, 13 total sets through three matches thus far. But I just think he, you know, he's been in this stage before. Lachechka has not. I think this is Lachechka's first main draw, and he's into the fourth round. So obviously that's extraordinarily impressive. Just earned a massive win over Cam Nori. I think this is where the bubble bursts for uh, Lachechka. This is very similar to the uh, Lin Ju play, where I just think FAA's weapons, his serve, his forehand, I think he's the better version of Lachechka. He's also been here before. And while Lachechka, maybe from an eye test perspective, has played a little bit more efficiently than Felix so far, I just like FAA in this match. But I like that we could get a minus four and a half games as well, because sometimes when Felix beats you, he really beats you down. And I could see a set where just the serve, the forehand for Felix, they overwhelm Lachechka. Lachechka plays a bad service game. He goes down a quick 3-0, and now all of a sudden he drops a 6-1 set. And even in a world where Lachechka could win a set, absolutely could take a 7-6, 7-5, 6-4 sort of affair, maybe even 6-3, one break of serve from Felix, depending on who serves first. But give me the weapons, the consistency, the experience of Felix Ogier Aliasim to ultimately win out in this match. I like Felix over Lachechka. For what it's worth, Tennis Abstract has him as an 86.9% favorite. They also have Hachinov as a 51.6% favorite, despite how good Nishioka has been over the course of the last five months. So let's stick with the singles forecast, which has so frequently brought us to the promised lands. Let's take FAA minus four and a half games over Lachechka. And then short explanation here, but we're riding the hot hand. If you've listened to any Cracked Rackets podcast over the course of the past seven weeks, time and time again, you've heard me say, Corda's going to finish the year ranked the American men's number one. Corda's a tier one talent. Corda's the sort of guy who has the size, speed, strength, and mental stamina to just do everything you want to see a player do here in modern day ATP tennis. I mean, look. Hubi Hurkacz, two five-set wins uh, in his past two matches, or what? He got a five-set win over Sinego in round number two. Yeah, in his last two matches, five-set wins over Denis Shapovalov in round number three. He spent a little over seven, seven and a half hours, right? or I think it's exactly seven and a half hours on court over the course of the last four days or three days, whatever it may be. And look, did you watch the Sebi Korda straight set win over Medvedev? Did you see a guy who... 
you know, it's funny. You look for Sebi Corda. It's actually been his serve that's held him back historically. He's been a top 15 returner for the past two years. His age 21, age 22 seasons. The return was never in question. It was the development of the serve, taking it from potentially good to in reality, elite, and that's exactly what he's done over the course of the past two months. And again, you just look for Seppi Corda, who made the final in three out of four events, three out of his last four coming into this Australian Open, and now, you know, again, finals Adelaide, where he has a match point on Djokovic, and now beats Daniil Medvedev in straight sets, despite blowing a first set lead, and, you know, Medvedev continuing to look as though he'd have chances to crawl back. No, that wasn't the case. Corda's got the exact sort of firepower that can play through and give the Hubi Hercots forehand issues. Corda, yes, is coming off of the biggest win of his career. But Hercots has played back-to-back five-set matches. And as fit as Hubi is and as simple as Hubi's game plan can sometimes be, big first serve, big first shot, move in behind the net. It's not the most physically laborious game style in theory. But if you actually watch Hubi play, you know how well he uses his athleticism to just dig himself out of corners, to track down that extra ball, to full stretch slide into his backhand, despite the fact that he's six foot six, freaking tall. I just like the power of t- tennis of Corda. I like the form of Corda. I think this is the the slam we will the, this month maybe we'll even look back. 15, 20 years from now is 20, January 2023 was when Sebi Corda became who he was moving forward. I like Corda to win, and you can take a minus 170 money line, which is not the worst value. I think if he does win, he's not going to lose a blowout set, even if it is a five-setter. I think uh, Corda you know, will never lose more than a 6-4 or a 6-3. And so I'm going to take the game spread. Give me Sebi Corda minus one and a half games, which is essentially just him winning this match, right? But minus one and a half games, you get those minus 170 money line odds down to minus 140. So just a little bit more juice, which when parlayed with Felix Ogier Aliassim, minus four and a half games over Lachetka, minus 150, that's plus 185 odds. I really like that because again, I think Felix is just a little bit better at everything Lachetka wants to execute than the young Czech. And I think Corda has the perfect game style. Big big pace into the Hercots forehand will be plenty fine exchanging backhand to backhand with Hercots uses his length so well this quarter to just put returns in play, make life difficult for Hubi. And then I test wise, has anyone played better than Sepi Corda on the men's side? You could legitimately argue no at this point. Give me Sepi Corda, minus one and a half games over Hercots, minus 140. Parlayed with that FAA, minus four and a half games over Lachetchka. And by the way, again, Tennis Abstract uh, has Sepi Corda as the favorite entering this matchup, according to their singles forecast. Corda, a 54.3% favorite over the higher ranked Hubi Hercots. Give me Corda to advance. Parlayed with Felix Ogier Aliassim plus 185. We're only putting a tenth of a unit on this, though, because both of these matchups, big serves, big forehands, high variance. It can get testy. We're only going to put a tenth of a unit on this. Plus 185, 0.1 units to win 0.18 in return. I said I was being conservative, folks. We just built ourselves a 14-11 and 11 record, just built ourselves a little 0.96 unit gap to work with. I don't want to hand it all back here on day number seven. So again, two conservative aces, Azarenka Hatchinov plus 104 parlay, FAA Corda plus 185 parlay. Those are your two aces of the day. Now, before we wrap, again, other thoughts on today's matches. I already did six minutes on Shviantek versus Rabakina. So I would lean Iga. I think that match is going to be very close. 
You certainly lean Coco Goff against Elena Ostapenko. Goff, a 62.7% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. She's also smack dab in the parlay zone, minus 500 money line. You can get her minus five and a half games, but that's just too many to me. Minus four and a half games, too many to me because Ostapenko has the exact sort of power that can actually give Coco Goff some issues. Power in through the forehand from the ground. And then, again, she's just going to swing freely on the return of serve, irrelevant of Coco's athleticism and Coco's ability to extend points. Ostapenko doesn't care about any of that. Ostapenko plays on her terms. She goes down swinging. Now, again, it's been a funky tournament for Yelena Ostapenko. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. You look for the former French Open champion Ostapenko three sets over Bondar. Uh, sandwiched in between wins over Yastremska and Bandel in straight sets. It's a big jumping competition, no doubt, for Yelena Ostapenko, who we all know when she's on, again, she's a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. When she's not, she's certainly capable of losing sets in under 20 minutes. Again, you back the consistency of Goff, right? The totality of things Goff can do. Goff's ability to not only dish out some pain with her own first serve, her willingness to move forward, get Ostapenko stretched, but then Goff's also maybe the best mover in women's tennis. She will be able to absorb, redirect some of Ostapenko's firepower, just make Ostapenko uncomfortable. That said, Ostapenko matches are always uncomfortable because of how big and how sporadically, you know, how big her weapons are, how sporadically she will play throughout the course of a match. So stay away from me. Or maybe you take the over two and a half sets plus 165, which by the way, maybe you want to do with Sviantek Rabakina as well. But I want no part of that match. Although Goff minus one and a half sets. So to win in straights is minus 185. That certainly is intriguing. The other one I want no part of, Pagula Krejcikova. I know how well Jessica Pagula has played. She's a 67.5% favorite over Krejcikova. She hasn't lost a match since losing to Kvitova the very first match of the season in United Cup. So that means what? She's won seven in a row subsequently since then. And that's excluding her doubles success. Of course, she's yet to drop a set and has looked awfully impressive in her three Australian Open victories thus far. That said, as you know, listeners, if you've listened to our podcast over the past five weeks, I'm buying stock in Barbara Krejcikova, the 27-year-old former Grand Slam champion, obviously reached number two in the world to start last season. She just wasn't healthy for six months last year. When she finally got healthy, what did she do to end the season? She goes to Tallinn, beats Haddad Maya, beats Kostyuk, beats Bencic, beats Konstave, wins the title. What does she do the very next week? Goes to Ostrava, beats Rogers, Bencic, Alicia Parks, Rabakina, and Iga to win the title there for her here in Australia. Wins over Balik, Burrell, and Kalanina. All, uh, by the way, worth noting, straight set victories for the rising 27-year-old. I just think she's back. And, you know, win healthy. She's top 10 server. So, so maybe is Barbara Krejcikova, and I know this is a very niche category, she might have the best approach shot in all of women's tennis. The depth, the precision, the ability to set up the first volley. Krejcikova does it better than anyone. And again, these are two rock-solid, well-rounded, no-glaring weakness players in their primes competing here in this fourth round in Krejcikova and Pagula. And certainly, again, Pagula will be the betting favorite. Uh, you look for Jessica Pagula right now, according to our friends at uh, DraftKings. Pagula is indeed the betting favorite in this match, as she is currently, uh, I believe, and I don't want to get this incorrect, so I apologize. I'm double-checking here as I look at my number. She is currently 
plus 165 to Pagula's minus 205, which, by the way, has moved down. Pagula was minus 225 when I checked this yesterday. No, thank you. No, thank you. I'll take the over in this match, plus 120, if I'm going to bet on it at all. I don't even want to look at the game spreads. I don't even want to look at any of the props. I just, I these are two really well-rounded, not going to give anything away for free. Both good servers, not great servers, but both very good returners. Both great backhands. Both can change direction down the line. Both comfortable volleyers. Again, Pagula's maybe a little bit more confident and maybe slightly more calloused up against high-level competition, but, like, this is a pick em. Uh, minus 205 is too much. If anything, you take the value of Krachikova plus 165. You pray she wins the first set. Then, you know, you live bet on Pagula. You kick your feet up. You enjoy the rest of this match. Maybe you take the over two and a half sets at plus 120, but no, I want no part. No part. That match scares the death out of me from a gambling perspective. So let's just enjoy it. Again, Pagula's 67.5% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. That's because of how good she's been over the past year. The fact that Krachikova was injured for so long and it took her a second to get back to form. No, no, no. I want no part of that match. Absolute stay away from me. And again, if you're asking me what's the better set of matches tomorrow, I... I mean, they're both really good. The top halves of the draw are ecstatic, and that's why we uh, are delightful, and that's why we struggled with them throughout this event because the, the margins have been so thin. On the men's side, talked about Felix Lechechka, talked about Korda Hurkacz, Nishioka Hachinov. If you asked me to make a pick, I'd take Sinner over Tsitsipas. As good as Sinner's look, uh, as Tsitsipas has looked, his serve, his forehand, the fact that he dusted Sinner in the quarterfinals here a year ago, I'm really happy we get the rematch because Sinner played very poorly in that match. But look, Yannick's been on fire to start this 2023 Australian Open. He's looked healthy. He's, you know... From two sets to love down against Fucevic, 6-1, 6-2, 6-0 to close out that win. And, you know, again, gets off court in just a, a over three and a half hours, which for a five-set match, as far as things go, not too shabby. He, you know, finally got calloused up, struggled a little bit. And, man, like, again, his weaponry, the willingness to swing through everything at all times and to do it consistently, how well he moves, how many returns he puts in play, how much better he's gotten at volleying. Again, on paper, it's a really good matchup as he takes on Stefano Tsitsipas. And look, Tsitsipas has yet to drop a set. I actually do think Tsitsipas has looked like he's jumped another level here to start this 2023 season. And by the way, he went 4-0 in United Cup. Now 3-0 here in Australian Open. So he's won his first seven matches of the year. This is a former semifinalist at the Australian Open. And, you know, a guy who serve, whose forehand, regardless of the time of day, can just rip through any court right now. He's hitting the backhand with more and more confidence. He's moving so well. And his ability to hold his ground and just absorb, redirect pace on the baseline through that forehand wing is special. But boy, you just keep waiting for Sinner to earn that signature victory at a slam. And how many times do I have to say it? He had match point on Carlos Alcaraz at the U.S. Open last year. I think if he wins that match point, I do think he goes on to win the event. Is this where Sinner gets it? Or is this where Tsitsipas holds his ground? Again, if I'm making any sort of wager here, it's the over 30 and 38 and a half games in Tsitsipas Sinner. I think this one's going to be a barn burner. I take Sinner plus 175 money line for the value. Hope he builds a big lead, either two sets to one or maybe a set and a break up. And then you live bet on Tsitsipas, kick your feet up and enjoy the rest of the match. 
It's a stay away. It's a stay away. Again, I'm more than anything, I just really want to enjoy this one. And for what it's worth, CC Ponce, a 57.9% favorite, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. So what does that tell me? It tells me we have battles on our hands as we look at day number seven. With that said, one last time, your aces of the day. Give me Azarenka Moneyline Parlay with Kachanov, minus three and a half games over Nishioka, plus 104 odds, 0.25 units to win 0.26. Then give me FAA minus four and half games. Corda minus one and a half games plus 185 odds when parlayed together 0.10 units. So a tenth of a unit to win 0.18 in return. Those are your day seven GSP aces of the day. Of course, I realize I'm a bit behind on our other podcast platform, but if you're looking for recap content, the mini break podcast is the place to you. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. Thank you.